0: Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavyhops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show.
1: When you work in politics, you realize that every industry you know, is going to have uh, uh, stakeholders that are going to scrutinize and wanna be at the table for every single issue.
0: Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. My name's Sam. Joining us this week is Danielle Alessandro, executive director of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild, which we refer to as ICBG or the Guild interchangeably during our discussion. Danielle tells us about the Brewers Economic Equity and Relief Act, which seeks to give Illinois breweries and brew pubs expanded access to consumers. We also discuss a number of topics that are getting the attention of state guilds nationwide, such as franchise rights and excise tax reform. Danielle argues trade associations have a responsibility to take a stand on social justice, diversity and inclusion. Will there be FOBAB this autumn? Find out as we dive and get heavy. Danielle, welcome to Heavy Hops. We're really happy to have you.
1: Thank you. It's really exciting to be here. appreciate the time.
0: So your role in the Guild uh, is as the executive director, a position you've held since 2016. In this role, you're in constant communication with Illinois breweries of all sizes, uh, of which the number is nearly 300. Can you give us a day-to-day view of what this looks like?
1: Absolutely, yeah. you know, it's it's obviously managing the day-to-day operations of the association um, itself. And and so we focus on three uh, main areas, uh, advocacy, education, and promotion. Um, My background is in advocacy, government relations. So I spend a lot of time, um, particularly around this time of the year when the legislature is in session, um, advocating on behalf of bills that would be beneficial for small brewers in Illinois. Um, And of course, uh, trying to, to stop Um, or amend um, any legislation that could be detrimental or negatively impactful to our member breweries. Then in terms of promotion, we host a couple of events, larger festivals a year, I think that we'll we'll spend a little bit of time talking about. Um, And mixed in with that is is any number of of small or more intimate events um, that we will do in partnership with other organizations. Um, Specifically, what comes to mind is our partnership with Choose Chicago um, and doing a series of events on Friday afternoons um, in the city with neighborhood breweries. Um, But the point is, right, to promote our member breweries to the general public and raise awareness of uh, what the breweries are are doing, the different styles they're making. And then finally, that education piece. We have been hosting an annual conference for about four years now um, that touches on technical and business aspects of brewing. We also offer various technical uh, education opportunities throughout the year. We've recently started a it's turned into kind of a monthly um, happy hour roundtable discussion um, where we pick a topic and our board of directors helps put together a panel um, helps identify that topic and we just spend an informal hour with uh, with brewery members um, talking about uh, the subject at hand and kind of showing best practices um, taking questions really just provide an opportunity for breweries uh, brewers especially because we're not meeting together in person yet um, to to reconnect and network with one another, um, and so it's it's managing all aspects of of, of that work and those efforts. So uh, the fun part is that it's different every day, um, and it, it continues to be challenging and yet really rewarding uh, to be able to help promote and uh, and advocate on behalf of the small brewers in Illinois.
0: And since 2016, you've also seen an exceptional rise in the number of breweries as well, no doubt uh, leading to the importance of communication and of being on the page with everyone. So we're looking now at the Brewers Economic Equality and Relief Bill, the Beer Act, which uh, is currently um, being discussed uh, in Springfield. What were the range of concerns that your member breweries had during the past year that led to the Beer Act?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, we were fortunate enough in the very beginning, and this was a a, a model, and I, and I won't recall maybe it, it came from the federal government, um, but that really identified as uh, uh, brewers as manufacturers, and so as essential businesses that could remain open um, when when COVID hit. So breweries were were able to stay open; they were able to brew beer. Um, of course, though the the closure of any on-premise consumption um, was incredibly detrimental to to small brewers that really rely on those taproom sales. Um, not only that, but craft beer uh, is just more um, uh, weighted towards draft versus package. So you have a lot of craft brewers that again spend a, a you know put more of their beer um, in kegs um, to be served on draft lines um, in bars and restaurants. But at sports stadiums and entertainment venues and, and music halls, and so when when COVID hit and everything shut down, um, that left you know small brewers having to scramble and find um, packaging options, um, how, you know cans, bottles, whatever they could get their whole uh, their hands on, and then they had to compete with every brand to to get shelf space in in off premise channels. And that has uh, that was very difficult for a lot of small brewers. Um, And it was interesting, you know, as we, you know, before pre-COVID, where we were seeing the greatest um, increase in sales and volume among our smallest brewers, um, where more regional brewers were kind of stagnant um, in terms of their growth. um, Then it flipped with COVID. We saw regional breweries and domestic breweries, by and large, do okay. Um, because they already had the shelf space, they already had the accounts, they already had the distribution network. Our smallest brewers then were the most impacted because again, they either weren't packaging any of their product to begin with um, and had to shift to that, or a lot of their product was again in 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 kegs and on draft systems um and on-premise accounts. So as we you know really started talking to to brewers, you know, what really was important for them is how do we um how do we inter, uh, interact with the consumer? How do we get our beer to market um, and continue to, to sell our brand? And so I think every aspect of the Beer Act um, really does touch on that, um, providing more direct access to consumers uh, with delivery and with shipping, providing um, small brew pubs, the ability to, you know for the first time, be able to do some limited self-distribution to local retail accounts. Um, I'll note that we had a brew pub in uh, southern Illinois that, when everything closed on, on premise, they had a local grocery store that was willing and wanted to carry their brand, um, but the local distributor said they were uninterested in carrying their product. Well, at that point, then that small brew pub has no recourse or no way to get their beer into retailers' hands, and that is uh, that's really harmful then for again our smallest brewers because. You know, while we've seen an incredible, um, incredible growth among new craft breweries in the U.S., at the same time we've seen incredible consolidation among the distribution tier, and so you have thousands of brands that are being carried by, in Illinois at least, you know, maybe forty to fifty distributors, and you know, at some point they simply can't take on new brands; Um, it won't fit in their portfolio. But that shouldn't then mean that small brewers can't have access to retailers and and can't have a way then to get their beer into the market. There should be some some exceptions for that. Um, And so again, really this was meant to provide more opportunities for small brewers to direct, um, uh, interact directly with consumers and with retailers.
0: In building the legislation comprising the Beer Act, uh, did you consider perspectives apart from those of your members and how did you go about kind of building the piece?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you, well, I was going to say, I think you you have to do that, you know, when you're drafting legislation, but that's certainly not always the case. Um, I think there's an argument to be made sometimes, you know, you put everything you want in the bill and you, you know, put things in that no one would accept or agree to, but that gives you an opportunity to amend and negotiate the bill, you know, over the, the, the next few weeks or months. Um, I will say that that's, and this is personal, that's tended not to be an approach that I um, uh, uh, prescribe to. Um, I think because I, I recognize that there are um, real interests uh, in, in the regulation of, of alcohol and, and they're legitimate. Um, we are part of an ecosystem that relies on strong um, businesses in the second and the third tier. Not only that, but our members operate in all three tiers, which is a little bit unique to other trade associations. We have brewers again that are manufacturing, um, some that are self-distributing, so that puts them in that second tier, and the vast majority that have uh, are in the third tier, third tier with a retail component. Whether that's just through the brew pub itself, and and they're serving wine and spirits along with food, um, or in the taproom space where they're serving beer, um, cider, um, uh, to consumers that, you know, to non-licensees that are coming in to visit. And so... You know, you do have to to think about then um, other industry members and and their perspectives, and so that was certainly intentional, at least on on the brew pub self distribution side, considering um, uh, the impacts that that would have on beer distributors. Um, also ensuring that you know our retail partners, um, uh, you know that that this was a way to to also build relationships with them and. And this isn't really, you know, some retailers had had issues in the past with, well, with this proliferation of tap rooms and the rights of small brewers and having those retail privileges competing then with their retail spaces, especially if they're known to be a craft beer bar or um, a, a craft beer bottle shop that specializes in local brands. Um, you know, and so they're weary they're or, or leery when we um, have legislation that seeks to potentially encroach on on those privileges um, and 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 that ability to have consumers inside your your space um, drinking your product. But at the end of the day, um, we are the Illinois Craft Brewer's Guild and we represent uh, craft breweries in Illinois. And so that has to be our our first and and really number one priority. And so there's certainly negotiations um, that are taking place right now. Um, But I would say that we introduced a bill that I thought was very reasonable. Um, And very practical and recognized, again, the intricacies of this ecosystem, um, but that ultimately is good for all members and all tiers um, and is beneficial, not just to small brewers, but to distributors and to retailers as well.
2: With with all these perspectives in mind, what are some of the highlights of the legislation that uh, benefit a majority of your members or all of the members?
1: Yeah, I break this down. You know, it's funny, as we've talked with legislators, um, and even as we started uh, negotiating the bill with um, beer distributors, you know, there are several aspects to the bill, um, not all of which will will be in the final version um, that we're able to pass. Um, But I will, I will cover those items, though, just because I think it's important to know, you know, where all of these, um, these pieces fit within again, how we regulate alcohol. And so um, I, I touched on brewpub self-distribution. So it would allow um, a brewpub that is, is licensed and classified by the state as a specialty retailer, um, it would give them limited self-distribution privileges. Um, again, so it, it puts this retailer in that second tier Um, which is typically where then, you know, beer distributors or or any wholesaler, whether beer, wine, or spirits tend to have issues, Um, but would give them the ability then to sell directly to another retailer, whether that's a a coffee shop or a liquor store, convenience store, a restaurant. It would give them the ability to do so up to a certain amount of barrels each year. Our proposal does place geographic limitations within that. Um, So if you're a brew pub located in the city of Chicago, Our proposal would allow you to self distribute up to 200 barrels within a 10 mile geographic radius from your licensed brew pub. If you're located outside the city of Chicago that expands to 50 miles, because we recognize that for some brew pubs that are located in more rural parts of the state, you know 10 or even 20 miles um, doesn't get you to that that local retailer, Um, you have to drive a little bit further so. Again, this really seeks to to achieve the goal of of recognizing that distributors have so many brands that they're expected to carry. Um, In our statute, too, in Illinois, we require um, distributors to allow the beer to to sit at rest. And so that means the distributor is coming out to um, the brew pub or the brewery, picking up the product, driving it back out to their warehouse, which could be 10, 20 miles away where it sits at rest on their truck before they then bring it out to the retailer. Well, if you have a brew pub that's located in a town that has a restaurant right across the street that wants to carry their their beer, um, that seems like a really inefficient and time-consuming and environmentally unfriendly um, option to get that beer to that restaurant. And so this seeks to achieve that say, hey, look, this makes a lot of sense, you know, for a limited amount of beer um, that you're manufacturing on site to be able to walk a couple of kegs across the street and uh, partner with that, that restaurant and allow you to sell that to your consumer to your customers. What's great about that too, though, is you know, is as the brew pub is building their brand, as they are partnering with local retailers, getting into those accounts, building more brand awareness for consumers, that actually might create a need to. One, for that brew pub to start making more beer because there's more demand. But two, if they get to a certain volume, they can become attractive to a distributor who then may want to carry their product. And that's ultimately a win-win again for the the brew pub, the distributor, the retailer as well. And then ultimately the consumer, which really is left out a lot of times when we're talking about legislation around alcohol control um, in the General Assembly or down in Springfield. So we have that self-distribution piece. The the other piece then. I'll combine into two is permanent delivery and direct-to-consumer shipping. Um, since last March, once uh, COVID hit, the governor issued an executive order, an emergency executive order that um, he's continued to renew after every 30 days. And so based on that executive order, that has given state agencies kind of uh, you know out of the ordinary or temporary um, privileges uh, to make exceptions to state statute, state law. And so the Illinois Liquor Control Commission that regulates liquor licenses in our state, um, they uh, decided to allow retailers along with manufacturers that also have a retail component to deliver to consumers' homes um, when everything shut down on premise. So that meant that a brewery, a winery, a distillery, and any retailer could either with their own employee or with a third-party delivery service um, deliver packaged beer to a consumer's home. And that worked extremely well for a lot of our members, um, particularly at the start of the pandemic when everything was shut down. Um, I will say that as we've seen businesses, establishments reopen, um, as we've, you know, had on-premise return, um, uh, even with uh, capacity restrictions, you know, that need to uh, be able to deliver to someone's home, um, you know, isn't. Is it make it or break it, I should say for a small business, but certainly if it makes sense, um, they should have the opportunity to utilize that as part of their business model. Um, Along with the fact that in in January, the legislature passed Senate bill 54 the liquor delivery bill um, that does provide uniform and permanent home delivery um, for Illinois retailers starting in January of, of 2022. Um, previously home delivery was up to um, home rule to local municipalities um, to uh, either allow it or restrict it based on, um, you know, again, the demographics and the politics of that municipality. But what Senate Bill, Senate Bill 54 did is basically said, we appreciate you, um, but we're just going to make a uniform law that says you can no longer regulate home delivery in, in, in your territory municipality. Um, any retailer can do it which means that a gas station um, in the suburbs that sells alcohol could theoretically deliver alcohol to a consumer's home um, when when that becomes uh, effective. And so uh, with the around 30,000 licensed retailers, whether off-premise or on-premise in the state of Illinois that was granted those privileges, you know, we think it's right then that the state's 290 or so craft breweries also be be given that that privilege because they do typically have that tap room, that retail space. Uh, the other piece then is direct to consumer shipping. Um, I believe it's 45 or 46 states currently allow um, and I'll refer to it as DTC shipping, but currently allow DTC wine shipping. Um, in Illinois, we've had DTC wine shipping since 2005. Um, and it's worked incredibly well. It provides an opportunity for in-state or out-of-state wineries to apply for and receive a winery shipper license from the state, and they can then ship up to 12 cases of wine per year to an Illinois resident. So we simply seek to expand that and create parity um, across liquor products to also allow um, beer um, to be able to direct a consumer ship. There are about 12 or 13 states right now that currently allow DTC beer shipping, And so this would give out-of-state brewers an opportunity or out-of-state and in-state brewers an opportunity to ship to Illinois residents up to 12 cases of beer a year, or for the states that do allow DTC beer shipping, there's that reciprocity. And so Illinois brewers could, um, as long as they're following the rules of of the other 12, 13 states, could also then ship to consumers in those states. This is really a win for um, brewers across Illinois. What I have found is that That's actually not specific to, you know, where the brewery is located or the size of the brewery. Um, We have breweries, uh, we have a brewery down in Southern Illinois, Scratch Brewing in Ava, that relies heavily on tourism um, and just foot traffic. But with the pandemic and again, uh, on-premise closures and uh, public health officials asking us not to travel, um, that uh, severely impacted their ability to sell their product. And so shipping would be um, an incredible asset um, to allow them to to stay in business and hopefully grow and even hire somebody to manage that process at some point down the road. But then even in Chicago, with as heavily um, populated as it is, shipping is actually still um, uh, very um, uh, potentially uh, very positive for our brewers here. I was talking, one of our um, breweries that has been around for, I think, six, seven years in, in the city noted that, you know, delivery uh, never really worked well for for their business model because, again, they're, they're in such a populated, they're in a neighborhood. They didn't really want, you know, their own employees out driving, you know, coming back and forth from the brewery uh, multiple times a day with a lot of people walking um, in that neighborhood. So for them, shipping would be much more advantageous than taking part in delivery. Um, So this really is an opportunity for uh, for craft brewers, whether, again, they're 300 barrels a year or 10,000 barrels a year, to to take advantage of shipping a couple of cases or bombers to to consumers. Um, Then the other aspects, which, you know, again, I I I won't spend much time on, but um, is expanding the Cocktails to Go program. Um, that was passed last uh, last June um, or at the end of May, went into effect in June, um, that all retailers were able to take advantage of in the state. The Cocktails to Go legislation specifically ex- excluded brew pubs. Um, and so we in- include the ability for brew pubs to participate in the Cocktails to Go program. We also remove uh, the repeal date. So Cocktails to Go would be permanent in Illinois. Um, I think you know that aspect though, it, probably won't, uh, you know, be in the final version of the bill. Um, there's legislation that is moving that would extend cocktails to go until January 1 of 2024. And you know, I was just on a, a meeting with, um, our commissioners, um, ILCC today, and, you know, even commissioners have some reservations about making t- cocktails to go permanent. So, you know, again, that aspect, um, I think will probably be be removed. So the the delivery, the shipping, and the brewpub self-distribution are, are really the main crux of the bill. And that was an incredibly long explanation. I apologize.
2: It was great. I think it was very informative. Um, with so much packed into this specific bill and the Beer Act, uh, what are some of the other legislative goals that the ICBG has? Uh, has a lot just been taken from previous attempts at trying to pass these and packed into one bill, or are there other goals that you have in mind as well?
1: That's a great question. Um, I, I don't think that we'll probably ever run out of ideas and in terms of, uh, you know, creating a, a more flexible regulatory structure um, while also recognizing that the, the statute that we have today is not reflective of, of the industry or even of, of consumers and where the market is. Um, You know, we still have a statute that was first passed after prohibition in the 1930s. um, That's We've just taken kind of this piecemeal approach to tweak it over the the last several decades, but we really haven't taken a look at how do we actually modernize, simplify, um, and bring uh, the Liquor Control Act, you know, into the 21st century. And so, you know, a few years ago, there was some conversations around you know pulling uh industry members together and and rewriting the liquor control act um, we will not see that in, in, in my tenure with the guilds. um i think that's an, an effort that probably we probably won't see for for years um so we you know we look to again kind of make piecemeal uh, changes to the act to provide again greater flexibility and opportunities for small brewers so Direct-to-consumer shipping and BrewPub self-distribution are the two main priorities for, for the guilds this session. Um, BrewPub self-distribution has been uh, a critical subject for um, our BrewPub members uh, for the past you know, five, ten years. Um, when we negotiated the first self-distribution bill back in 2010, there was an effort at that point in time where we tried to, to also include BrewPub self-distribution and it was just clear from uh, not just in industry member opposition, but even opposition from the ILCC at the time that we were not going to, to achieve that in, in that bill. And so, you know, it's been 11 years now, and I think it's it's time and appropriate, particularly given the impact that the pandemic has had on brew pubs um, to, to have legislation that would provide some additional opportunities for them um, because they are manufacturing beer on site. Some of the other items though, um, you know, would be in our class two brewer's license um, that only allows uh, that class two brewer to have up to three retail locations. And that was mirrored after what um, wineries in Illinois can do. They can hold up to three retail locations um, for their winery premises licenses. And so uh, that does cap, um, again, class two brewers at, at no more than three retail locations. So, you know, we have, you know, Distill is a great example um, of a brewery in Illinois that has a production brewery and two brew pubs. So they are maxed. They they could not open up a third or a fourth location in Illinois that would have to be done out of state, um, which you could argue you know is not business friendly um, uh, to to restrict the number of of business operations or locations you can have. Um, another thing that um, I, I know that you uh, may ask is around increasing the self distribution limit for Class One brewers. Currently in Illinois, if you have a class one license, you can manufacture and produce up to 30,000 barrels annually, and you can self-distribute up to 7,500 of of those barrels. Um, You know, that that number has not been uh, changed um, or amended since 2010. Um, We did increase the production limit. When the bill was first passed, it provided for up to 15,000 barrels of annual production. Half of that could be self-distributed. So we increase that production um, to provide a little bit more flexibility for some of our brewery members, but um, 7,500 barrels is a lot of beer. And, you know, would that benefit, you know, two to three, maybe of our members that are up against that cap? Yes. Um, for the opposition that it would face in Springfields, you know, is that a battle legislative issue that we're going to engage in um, in the next couple of years? You know, I would guess probably not. Um, and then I think, you know, the final piece um, would be franchise reform. Um, you know, there have been a number of states that have passed franchise reform laws over the past couple of years. Um, Illinois, though, has ha- has a pretty robust um, franchise law, at least as I've done some research in what other states have passed over the last couple of years and what's permitted in Illinois. Um, There are certainly improvements that can be made. And we've introduced two bills over the last five years, 10 years or so that would amend uh, the Beer Industry Fair Dealing Act. Um, But I'm sure that uh, folks can appreciate the significant opposition. Uh, You know, the Beer Industry Fair Dealing Act was introduced in the 1980s um, or passed in the 1980s. And is really, you know, kind of the, the pinnacle or what sometimes I call it almost like the baby of the beer distributors. Um, and, and when we introduced uh, our bill last year, I believe it was around reforming uh, BIFTA, um, the distributors viewed it as kind of an all-out act of war. Um, so, you know, at this point in time, um, certainly within the next few years, but I don't know when we'll be able to, to really have an honest conversation and debate on BIFTA, particularly because it's just, uh, it's kind of confusing, right? It's, um, you're trying to educate legislators on the idea that, you know, you get locked into these contracts. um, There is a way to terminate them, but it's only if you can pay, you know, fair market value, but that's not defined in statute what fair market value is. Um, And arguing that, you know, then, that distributor, that wholesaler shouldn't have the right to hold your brand, um, as you're trying to negotiate a deal. Um, but again, that, that takes time to explain to legislators. And so particularly in a year, like, like last year when COVID hit and, and so we just couldn't progress, you know, move forward with that. And then even this year with, you know, COVID still here and, and legislators having, you know, a more challenging time, um, meeting and, and passing legislation. Um, this just wouldn't be able to be a priority item for them this year. And, and so that's going to, that issue is going to take further educating, um, and spending more time with legislators talking about the real challenges, um, and the need for real solutions and reform to that.
0: You've spoken about, uh, quite a bit of, Sort of a, accommodating and understanding all of your members' needs, and how do you kind of communicate with them when uh, someone, as you alluded to, may be one of two or three breweries that self-distributes that maximum of seventy-five hundred barrels per year? How do you go to them or a brewery that was looking for self-distribute or a brew pub that was looking for self-distribution? How do you go to them and say? I don't know about right now, but we're fighting for you. How do you do that?
1: It's difficult. Uh, I think in part because we have had some really great legislative successes and I think it's, it's easy, um, particularly for our newer brewers that have maybe only been in operation for a couple of years to look at that and say, Oh, Hey, um, that's great. So I want to change the law here and here. Um, let's do it. And, and it, and it, you know, ignores, um, the significant opposition and the difficulty in in passing a law. I think it's also you know I um, I will frequently get comments from from folks you know friends or or just people you meet you know that think that I have the coolest job in the world because I must just go and hang out at breweries and drink beer and socialize with brewers and it's the best thing and um, and, and certainly you know I I can do that but. It's it goes much beyond that, and I actually frequently, particularly around this time of year when we're negotiating on legislation, um, can sometimes feel a little pessimistic or frustrated um, because it feels like we're, you know, in the David and Goliath story, and we're David, um, but we don't even have the sling, you know, to like shoot the rock. Like we're just like standing here um, because, in terms of resources, um, particularly when it comes to political contributions. We, you know, are just so behind um, what distributors and other industry members, like even the Illinois Restaurant Association, have been able to achieve um, over the last few decades. You know, we, the craft brewers, didn't start lobbying in Springfield until 2010. I mean, you know, I, along with my uh, former um, employer, we were their first contract lobbyists. Um, they had never engaged. They had never, you know, t- spoken with the legislator and, and introduced legislation. And so, you know, it's it's about Constantly communicating and trying to educate your brewery members on the process. You know, I was on the phone today with a brewer that wanted to know, you know, the timeline because they're thinking of maybe making some license changes. And, and I have to be honest and say, you know, so we have a May thirty first deadline. Um, that is when the General Assembly uh, uh, gavels out, um, adjourns for for the year. So even getting a bill then passed by May thirty one. The um, Senate or the House has 60 days to send that bill to the governor's office, and then the governor's office has 60 days to review the legislation um, to determine if the governor should sign, or veto, or amendatorily veto um, the bill. And so you're kind of looking at the earliest, you know, August. Um, you know, of course, we can ask for our bill to be, you know, expedited, um, you know, from the Senate or the House and and from the governor's office, but that's not a guarantee, particularly if it's um, a pretty heavy year in terms of legislation that that's passed and is awaiting review from governor, from the governor's team, you know, and so you have to be reasonable again about your timeline and, and expectations. And so, you know, again, that communication is key. We did our, we will host quarterly meetings for all of our brewery members. And so we did our Q1 meeting in January virtually And as I was explaining the legislation, we did have um, a brewery member that was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You're talking about brew pub self-distribution, but what about class one brewers that, you know, can't sell wine and spirits um, like a brew pub can? And and yet suddenly brew pubs now may have more, seemingly more rights and privileges than a class one brewer with a tap room. And you know, it's 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 a fair question, it's a great question. And my response was, brewpub self distribution has been the number one um, issue for brewpub members, you know, for years, and and this is the first time we're introducing that. Um, the law that we passed in 2018 was specifically beneficial to our Class One brewers or our brewers with tap rooms, and so it's it's balancing out those um, those priority items. What I will say is that I have been. I think incredibly blessed and um, and, and appreciative for how well, though, the breweries in Illinois work together. I'm on weekly calls with uh, the Brewers Association and uh, other state guilds, executive directors and staff. And so, you know, you hear stories about um, disagreements between breweries, um, you know, larger breweries and smaller breweries, um, you know, from other state guilds and the challenges that exist when you're trying to balance out those competing interests. And by and large, again, in Illinois, um, I've, it's really nice to know that my brewers have confidence in me and they trust me to, to get the work done and to advocate on their behalf in, in a way that I think is reasonable and has uh, the most uh, chance of success. Um, so I'm really lucky by that, but it's constant communication. It's also just listening. Um, you know, sometimes the brewer knows that they might not get what they want, but at least they have someone that, again, understands the advocacy and the government relations side that can listen to them and and provide you know some perspective. Again, maybe it's not what they want to hear, but they at least appreciate the time that's being spent to hear the issue.
0: Who are your kind of allies that you look to create parity with or uh, team up with when it comes to legislation?
1: I wish that I could read you off a list of other um, organizations. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, you know, so we we have started working a little bit more with the um, ICDA, the Illinois Craft Distillers Association. They're limited, though. They don't actually have any paid staff. And so, you know, it's it's distillery owners um, that uh, are, are also contributing their time um, if they're on the board, um, you know, to, to help with legislative efforts and and so while you know there's a partnership there it's you know it it, it re, it's more reliant on us to do kind of the heavy lifting and and understandably again they they don't have paid staff um or any staff that can you know spend you know dedicated time towards advancing uh, the goals um of the organization you know but we we're in constant communication with again the Illinois restaurant association um Irma, the Illinois Retail Merchants Association, um, wine and spirits distributors, uh, the beer distributors, um, the tavern owners, um, you know, Illinois Wine Association. Um, So we're collaborating and talking with them. But I I wouldn't say that we have, you know, an arsenal of of entities um, or organizations, you know, that are are running or, or, you know, to to support our legislation. And so it it requires a lot of, um, a lot of partnership building um, and trying to see if there's some uh, alliance there. Um, Or it's just asking, you know, trying to get these entities to a place where at least they're not opposed to our legislation and they're just willing to kind of step back and, and be neutral. But particularly, well, I shouldn't say that because I think when you're, when you work in politics, you realize that Every industry, you know, is going to have uh, uh, stakeholders that are going to scrutinize and want to be at the table for every single issue, and and it's no different than in in liquor. Um, every stakeholder, you know, you you can be in a committee room and you may or in a uh, in a, a conference room and think that you know this just deals with you and another stakeholder, and before you know it, there are. 15 to 20 different lobbyists that are representing every other stakeholder and you, you know, you have to give them a seat at the table. Um, and so it, it requires just a willingness to compromise and, and be inclusive. And yet at the same time, also know, know that those entities don't have your members' best interests. Um, they're protecting their own. Um, and so it's a fine balance between working together, but also making sure that, you're continuing to achieve the most that you can for your members.
2: Jumping a little bit to another topic of excise taxes, in Oregon we saw a proposed massive increase in the excise tax. And this was put forth on the proposal that it would disincentivize alcohol consumption and also raise funds for substance abuse programs. We can get to that in a minute. but is this something that you feel like your members are concerned about in Illinois versus the use tax?
1: So we actually, I I am part of a a coalition right now with with other industry stakeholders um, that has been meeting pretty regularly um, and and is prepared to oppose um, any proposed tax, uh, excise tax increase. I don't know if you guys are aware, uh, two years ago, there was an effort um, uh, from the administration to raise the excise taxes um, in order to help fund the capital bill or the capital program that passed, um, we were successful in, in being able to remove that from the, uh, the, the list of uh, funding um, proposed funding opportunities. So due to the impacts of COVID uh, and, and the shortfall that that has created in, in, in the state budget, we, you know, Got together again and and have been again you are talking regularly, keeping our, our ears to the ground if we're hearing um, any proposed um, excise tax increase. Uh, I will say though that thankfully with the American uh, uh, Rescue Act that I think that that those fears, at least from my standpoint, have been assuaged. Um, uh, particularly because you know again we're we're coming up on the end of April here and and no one's hearing any chatter of of a proposed um, tax increase. So. I think for this year, we, we may be in the clear, um, but certainly that's something that we're, we're always cognizant of and, and, you know, watching for um, not just on the state level, but even, you know, with the city of Chicago or Cook County, you know, local budgets that are are looking at ways or local governments that are looking at ways to close those budget gaps um, because, you know, particularly for, for craft beer uh, you know, it just, everything is, it costs more. The ingredients cost more, um, you know, packaging because they can't do it at the same volume and level that larger brewers can. Um, it's more expensive. Um, and those costs aren't always absorbed by the consumer, um, because you have to be price conscious of, of what you can sell your four pack, six pack, you know, 24 pack, uh, your case for. So certainly something where we're keeping an eye out. I, I don't anticipate though, that we will have, you know, we'll be fighting something this year though.
2: In my opinion, I don't feel like these excise tax increases actually affect uh, people's drinking habits in any way. Um, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to just consumers having less choice in what they want to consume because they're priced out of, uh, of a beer that they used to enjoy. Do you feel like this is uh, an accurate interpretation of how these laws actually affect breweries and the consumer?
1: I think that's right. You know, I, I- I think that, you know, we've seen um, at least over the last 20 years that even with this proliferation of, you know, wineries, distilleries, and breweries across the U.S., um, we haven't seen alcohol consumption increase. Um, it's remained relatively flat. You have some years where, you know, it spikes a little bit, some years where there's a decline, a decrease, um, but overall um, alcohol consumption in the U.S. has has remained flat. Um, you're also just seeing different uh, buying patterns um, from uh, consumers, particularly, I, Gen Zers, um, you know the 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 twenty one to twenty four year olds that, you know, either are a little bit more health conscious um, or price conscious, um, and so you know aren't rushing to uh, right to purchase the the bomber that's thirty dollars, and and so brewers need to be need to be cognizant of that um, in, in terms of looking for uh, new markets or new consumers. So yes, I I don't think that that is a concern, in at least. At least, what I will say that that is not similar to the proposal in Oregon. Again, with our proposed excise tax increase, it was to fund um, the capital bills to fund um, construction uh, projects throughout the state of Illinois. It it wasn't under this premise that you know we were going to discourage or or try and lower alcohol consumption. And so, um, I, I do feel like that at this point, right, our Uh, Our society, our culture, uh, the world is just different than it was, you know, pre-prohibition, you know, around consumption. So I would agree with that. Yeah, Sam.
0: I think uh, if Oregon had a sales tax as well, maybe that would uh, factor into some of that in some way, too.
1: Sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I also what's what's different, too, you know, um, from Oregon, even with Portland, you know, they're obviously known as, as a big craft beer city. But Chicago is just an entirely different market too. Um, it's not just craft beer. Um, it's our alcohol beverage program. It's it's our it's our restaurants. Um, it, it you know it's the culinary aspect of our city that makes it really unique too. Which I actually think makes it more challenging for groups um, that have that kind of premise um, behind it. You know, makes it harder for them. I think to to make gains um, in the state of Illinois.
0: Absolutely. I wanna look back at some of the highlights uh, from your time in the Guild as well. And we can kind of go back to uh, maybe self-distribution or in 2018, expanding the rights of what uh, uh, manufacturing licenses can sell on-premise. What are some of the more kind of uh, your top three from your uh, time uh, thus far with the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild? Yeah, great
1: question. It is kind of neat, though, to have uh, at this point been involved in every beer, beer every bill related to craft beer. Um, so, so yeah, like I noted, um, it was the first contract lobbyist for the guilds in in 2010, and that was really the first time that we were um, fighting to to actually maintain the ability to self distribute. Um, prior to 2010, um, the, the the laws in Illinois just weren't as clear, um, particularly in terms of ownership. Um, Anheuser-Busch had a 30% stake in a local distributor. uh, And that was really the impetus for for the bill. The state took um, Anheuser-Busch to court. Um, The court kind of punted back to the legislature and said, look, you guys figure this out first. Um, We're going to put a stay. And if you can't, then we'll take action to force AB to divest its its ownership, um, but also then create the status quo where know no manufacturer has any ability to distribute or self-distribute um and so that created uh you know a timeline um, for the legislature to respond and thankfully we were able to to come to a negotiation with um, industry stakeholders and again that's what created that first um, uh, craft brewer's license that then in 2015 became the class one brewer's license and so we've, we've kind of grown from 2010 as the industry has matured um, and as we've been able to you know, more clearly identify what these small business owners need um, in terms of the regulatory structure, um, you know, we've passed laws then that, that adjust to meet um, those needs and again provide some more flexibility. So we passed the, the Kraft Brewers Bill in 2000, 2010 that, that codified um, self-distribution in Illinois. And then in 2015, um, we worked on a pretty significant bill that created the class one and the class two brewer's license. Um, and so that's really you know, where we uh, kind of honed in on the rights of a brewer um, if they want to own a production brewery and a brew pub as well. Again, as, as we're, we talked about being in different tiers, you know that production brewery is in that first tier as a manufacturer and that brew pub is in that third tier as a retailer. And so, in order to you know, uh, to, to meet the the concerns of the distributors, and I would say the ILCC at that point, um, we created this class two license to provide that common ownership opportunity so that revolution and distill, and a few others didn't have to just divest their their ownership and stake of their brew pub if they wanted to keep their production brewery. Um, but I would say uh, you know, from two thousand and ten with the craft, craft Brewers bill, Um, then 2018, um, we were able to, to pass a law that allowed brewers the ability to sell, um, beer that was not manufactured on site so they could sell any guest beer. Um, so yes, that means a craft brewer could sell Anheuser-Busch or Miller Lite if they wanted to, um, which wasn't actually, you know, believe it or not, um, is not necessarily a bad thing, particularly for, uh, breweries that might be again in, in different parts of the state. So maybe near St. Louis or in more rural parts of the state where, you know, the, 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 the consumer, you know, might be a little weary of trying a double dry hopped IPA, you know, but they recognize stag, um, and they'll take that stag. And, you know, what we found is that if you, if you get people in the door though, and even if they're trying a domestic beer, over time, you can slowly introduce them to, to different brands or different styles and say, hey, if you like stag, we actually make a really crisp, light lager. Um, you know, would you want to try that? And so it's about you know educating um, that consumer to, to, to learn more about your brand and, and to try those different styles. Um, so being able to, to serve other guest beer and cider was a huge win. Um, brewers that wanted to be able to have a gluten-free option particularly for for women that didn't want to drink beer, um, but for for the folks that had a gluten intolerance um, or were allergic to to gluten. Um, so being able to to get cider was incredibly important. We made some other provisions or added some other provisions in there too, um, like allowing uh, brewers the ability to warehouse off-site. Um, that wasn't something they could do previously. and so, you know that really hindered um, the ability to expand or put in new tanks or equipment. Uh, if you just had you know taxed beer waiting to, to to go out to a retail account or waiting to go on your draft system, um, so the ability to have an offsite warehouse was really critical. And and then I guess the the third thing that I would point to um, would probably be our efforts just this year, this past year, when we were talking about in March the ILCC granting um, temporary home delivery. Um, the first uh, uh, announcement from the ILCC was was actually just allowing retailers. So it excluded brewers from the ability to participate in home delivery. And so we quickly mobilized um, and uh, thankfully with the help of the governor's office was able to quickly get the ILCC to reverse and amend um, uh, that announcement and include breweries in the ability to, um, to deliver to a consumer's home. So again, that was really critical for for brewers, especially when everything shut down and they needed a way to be able to sell their beer um, uh, and get that out the door. So I would say that those three, the two laws and then uh, that temporary provision last year were some of the things that I'm most proud of.
2: And another achievement you can uh, put in your cap too uh, is through all these legislative efforts. Um, You were recognized in 2019 and awarded the Matt Defense Award. You're only the second woman since 2000 to receive this award. Um, that's an amazing achievement in and of itself. What does it mean to you um, to have received this recognition?
1: You know, maybe confirmation that I'm, I'm doing my job. <laughs> um, you know, it's I, I think that working, you know, lobbying and advocating is difficult because you know, unlike um, other projects that you work on, you could spend four or five months um, plus working on an issue that, you know, may fail or may not be heard um, by the deadline. And I think it's easy to feel discouraged by that because, again, you, you put time and energy and it almost feels like you have, you don't have a whole lot to show for it. And that, that's just not true, right? I mean, you know that they're again, our, our seeds being planted, you, you are educating legislators, you are educating consumers. Um, you're educating your brewers. Um, you are still moving the needle forward, but uh, yeah, to be recognized for, um, uh, you know, for my efforts, um, uh, around, um, you know, lobbying for, on behalf of craft brewers in Illinois, you know, it's really rewarding, but it also, you know, reminds you too, that it's, it's a team effort. Um, you know, I didn't achieve that just on my own. It's, it's due to, uh, as I noted before, having, um, a brewing community that is supportive and, and, and trusts the work that you're doing and, uh, you know, will lend their help when you ask them to, um, it's having a board of directors that, uh, is willing to also trust me and say, you know, Hey, you, you've suggested X, Y, Z, or you think that this, these items may be successful in, in Springfield this year. Um, we support you, you know, do it, uh, you know, again, really makes a difference because, you know, having to to do the politics, you know, internally and externally, you know, would make the job much more difficult. And so I just attribute it to, um, you know, really just the success of the organization in the industry as a whole in Illinois and, and how far we've been able to come, you know, over the last 10 years or so. And I guess as it, you know, pertains to, to being a woman, you know, I've participated in a few panels and, and conversations around, you know, women in beer and, and just women in the industry. And, you know, I'll certainly note that, um, you know, there are challenges there um, still to this day that we have to address, um, particularly when I think it comes to issues around sexual harassment. Um, and, and discrimination. Um, and yet, you know, that doesn't just extend to, to women that also extends to minorities and people of color. And, and that is an issue that's really important to me in trying to, to advance, um, those causes. And, um, and so it's always encouraging a positive when, um, you know, other folks are, are recognized for, for their efforts.
0: Why is it important for trade organizations to, uh, take perspectives and to, uh, take an inclusive perspective specifically, uh, when it comes to, uh, social justice and inclusion?
1: Yeah, I think, um, professionally and personally, um, it's important that we, we step back and we do a lot more listening because as trade associations, um, we we have an audience. Um, we have uh, not just our our members, um, but particularly when we're talking about craft beer, we have our consumers and we have the general public. And, and we have an audience there that, um, you know, I think it's important for them to know that we want and are going to strive for an inclusive industry because it makes all of us better. Um, you know, as we talk about particularly, you know, um, you know, growing craft beer, um, reaching new consumers and new markets. We really can't do that if we don't have the input um, and the perspectives and the background of, of people that are different than us. and And trade associations have more resources to to advance that and to encourage that. And so we have to be having these conversations because it won't make us better as an industry. Or again, you know, even as personally as individuals, um, if we, you know, are, are hesitant or, or dismissive um, or not willing to, again, embrace and, and really listen to the perspectives of other people. So, you know, as for as long as I'm um, in this position, uh, I want to try to use that platform um, uh, as, as much as possible um, so that, again, not just our brewery members, but the general public knows that, that that's what we stand for.
0: Are you finding allies within your members as far as your uh, your perspectives and uh, the emphasis on social justice and uh, awareness? Uh,
1: yes and no. You know, I think that there's always a hesitancy um, or pause. You know, whether it's from the board or even um, my PR team um, to think about uh, the politics, um, the political consequences of of sharing something on social media or or taking a stand like that. And so that's, that's certainly something that has to be considered. Um, and, and yet I don't want that to stand in the way of, of moving forward and trying to make real progress. And I think we need more people to stand up and say that this is not partisan. Um, this is, this is about human equity and, and, and and ensuring that again, we do more listening um, uh, from, from others. And so uh, certainly there, there's always going to be, I think some pushback because the status quo I think is comfortable or it's familiar. Um, but as we've seen on, you know, on the news, the social media, as, as, as we read more, um, we know that th- that might be comfortable for those of us in the majority but that's not the case and that's that's not preferred um, by minority, by the minority. And we need to use our voices as a majority to stand up for those in the minority. And again, we have a platform to do so. And so I want to make sure that in every way we we make that known.
2: Absolutely. I think it's super important, especially now when everything is so political and everything is so bipartisan that You know when we look at things such as human rights and equitable treatment of everyone this isn't something that is political it's just basic human rights and so to take the platform that the guild has you you essentially have a potential voice of over 300 people or associations within that and so Making that stance known and putting it out there, I think it's it's just one step forward on that trend to progress.
1: Absolutely, and we're you know we're talking um, with our board um, and and with another uh, entity, you know, around some ideas to to to, to further promote um, diversity and inclusion within the industry here in Illinois. So I'm excited to see where that will take us over the next few months.
0: Thank you, uh, thank you for for that. Um, as far as fundraising and going into things, other things that you're uh, up to this year, what are the fundraising efforts going to look like uh, for this year? Are we going to be looking for a play on beer under glass or uh, what is going to happen with uh, six packs at Fobab, for example? You've done some interesting things last year in light of the challenging circumstances. What can we uh, as consumers look forward to this year?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I, I do think that we will, um, you know, fingers crossed, uh, have a return to in-person events uh, later this year. Uh, we are targeting um, uh, a, a late summer date um, for Beer Under Glass, um, so we'll we'll be announcing that very soon. Um, you know, it it will look different, um, just in terms of uh, attendance, um, probably being all outdoors, um, which, you know, in August, you have a little bit more, uh, assurance. It's not going to rain or be really cold than you do in May. So maybe that's, (laughs) that'll be a positive change. Um, we can count on some good weather. Um, and then I think, you know, we might have, uh, a couple of smaller, more intimate events, um, whether that's with Chicago, um, whether that may be a brand new golf outing that we, we announce, um, in the summertime, but uh, and then we'll we'll certainly with Fobab um, likely probably have uh, some um, to go component with some in person component. You know, recognizing that there will still be maybe a subset of consumers that won't feel safe um, being in in groups of people. You know, over you know a couple hundred people at a time, um, and so providing an option for them because our our yeah Fobab at home and and to go six pack experience. Um, was really well received this past November. It, it worked extremely well, um, and was a really fun way to still get craft beer fans um, an ability to try these rare, unique kind of one-off beers that are not available, you know, uh, widely distributed and available for consumers in in stores. Um, so it's been fun to see how we can pivot and still bring Illinois beer to consumers um, in in a safe and and unique way. And so we did yeah, 24 days, Christmas in July, 24 days of Illinois beer last year, uh over the in July. <laughs> it should be a no-brainer. Um, we did our, our fobab at home. And then kind of playing off of uh Christmas in July, we uh did our own kind of March Madness promotion. So craft beer fans purchased another random 24 pack of Illinois beer. Uh we gave them a blank bracket and you know said you know, rate these and and any category or you know judging criteria you want, whether it was aroma, whether it was taste, whether it was label design, um, whatever the case. And so, and then we encouraged fans to to post their pictures um, as they were working through their bracket, and that was really fun to see the engagement uh, from from craft beer fans and some of the bloggers um, on the beers that advanced, and and why? Because again, it wasn't universal that everyone. Filled out their bracket purely based on taste, um, taste profile. You know, some people really did. You know, they maybe had four different brackets that they printed out. Um, so again, the engagement on that was really great. And and what a fun way, you know, when again you're you're limited on on travel and and where you're going to have seemingly you know 24 breweries represented. You, know, you get to drink from your own home. So I would imagine that based on the success of those events, you know. We'll probably do another one or there will be some continuation of 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 the to-go aspect um, because it did work really well. But, you know, whether you're planning that or an in-person event, it, it still requires a lot of time and coordination. And um, thankfully, our brewers have been really, really great. You know, we uh, we rely on donations from our brewers for these events and, and events do generate over half of our annual revenue. So we were obviously very impacted from the ability, the inability to host events, in-person events last year. And, and so had to pivot and look for creative ways, but having our brewers that were still, you know, supportive and, um, and wanted to be a part of these promotion efforts Mm -hmm. made it a lot easier. And, you know, we sold out our cases of Christmas in July and our Illinois beer racket, you know, in, under two weeks, I think maybe it was a week or week and a half for both of those. So, um, so that was really positive. But I, I am excited to return to in-person events. You know, you you do some planning, but then you know it's one day you're on site, you do it, and then you're done. Versus some of these to-go events, you just feel like you're planning for a month, you know, two months. <laughs> um, but either you know, but it, they have all been great, and consumers have been great throughout the um, the last year and. Um, you know, we we wouldn't be here if they weren't continuing to support Illinois Beer.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think we're kind of wrapping up here. Do you uh, want to give our audience uh, and listeners some final words uh, from the conversation?
1: I'll just note that if folks are listening to this and they do live in Illinois, um, they can visit our um, website, illinoisbeer.org, and they can actually go to our advocacy page, um, and it's just a click of a button and they can send a note to their state senator and state rep based on their address that they input, um, a note to support the Beer Act. Um, you know, we're asking consumers to continue with that outreach. Um, let your local state legislator know that you're supportive of these measures uh, that will help crappers brewers recover um, from, from the pandemic. And just to, yeah, stay updated, we'll, um, you know, tomorrow we'll have uh, an announcement um, for Illinois Craft Beer Week um, and and some fun activations um, that we have in store and then to just stay engaged on what we're doing for the rest of the year.
0: Awesome, Danielle, it was a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to hopefully a positive resolution for all of your efforts.
1: Thanks, Alexi, thanks, Sam.
0: You bet, take care.